Good afternoon and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for Wednesday, August 10th, 2022. Special live stream today. We're doing Wednesday instead of Tuesday. I want to welcome everybody watching on Twitch and YouTube. Please feel free to ask us questions and make comments during the show. Hello to everybody listening after the fact on the Football Outsiders podcast network. I am Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, joined today by Mike Tanier and Robert Weintraub, who is the author of two chapters in Football Outsiders Almanac 2022, and we're going to get into those two chapters today, and that is the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. It's AFC North Day on the Football Outsiders live stream. We're going to start with our question of the day. So our question of the day for the viewers and the readers, which is, which new offensive lineman will have the biggest impact in Cincinnati? Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, or Lael Collins? Rob, what's your thought? As our resident Bengals fan, which of those three guys is the most impact? I mean, that's just like, it, it's a great choice. Like going to the ice cream parlor and having, you know, all the flavors set out in front of you. you just can't choose which one is most delicious because they're all <laughs> just such upgrades over what they were trotting out last year. Um, I probably, my, when people have asked me this so far, I've gone, I've leaned toward, uh, Lyle Collins at right tackle because right tackle is the bigger, you know, more important position of the three. He has the sort of highest ceiling of the three when he's healthy and ready to go. He's a real difference maker. Um, and he's just back to practice today. I believe he's been cleared. So if we want to tie that into a news peg, slight news peg, what we what passes for one in August anyway. Uh, we'll go with him. All three, though, are obviously significant upgrades, and given the way the middle of the line was collapsing in, uh, certainly in the later parts of the season and in the playoffs on Joe Burrow, uh, you could certainly make a case for Karras or Kappa or Collins. A lot of hard sounds in there. Going to have to get used to that. A little tongue twister action, but uh, I would go with stick with Collins, but you could definitely make a case that the center position has been well, all three positions have been kind of a wasteland, right? Right guard, center, and right tackle uh, for quite some time in Cincinnati. Uh, I can't. I guess Richie Bram is the last time they had a center really, you know, mm. even top notch quality, or not not even talking all pro level, but just a guy you can rely upon week in and week out. Certainly, we're hoping. Uh, that's what that's what the Bengals are getting in Karras. Uh, he has the lineage. He has the the you know Super Bowl rings to prove it. Uh, nothing but raves about him so far from camp about his professionalism and the way he brings it every practice, every play of every practice. Just what Bill Belichick talked about when uh, he was asked about Karras and what he brings, that kind of stuff. And uh, and Kappa, of course is a guy who also has you know great button lines and, and looks like he's he's going to fit the bill for what they need a right guard, which is also just a horrible uh, empty vacuum on that Bengal line for some time now. Uh, so all three are going to be important. I'll lean Collins for now, but you can talk me out of it at some point uh, as the season approaches and we'll see who stays healthiest really is what's going to make the big difference. Well, up until a couple of hours ago, the story was we're waiting for Lyle Collins. And up until about a week or so ago, we were waiting for Alex Kappa because he was limited. And the story was all about Harris coming in, like you said, the leadership, the professionalism, the Patriots uh, heritage and everything, ready to play, ready to play, ready to play at the center position. So right now, I'm leaning with the guy who's been there and has already made the contribution yeah. at center over the guys that we're still sort of waiting to see, uh, you know, take on their roles. 
I mean, yeah. uh, we're I was about- long term, but you're right. I mean, that right it, yeah. for the immediacy of what they're getting yeah. done in practice. And let's remember, they've been practicing without Joe Burrow this whole time. So, you know, there's a sort of, well, whatever the practice is right. worth is sort of take it with a grain of salt anyway. Yeah. Um, if anybody wants to see my appendectomy scar that I got in sympathy no! with Joe, um, available for a later podcast, uh, live stream, whatever the, we're calling this today. But, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's certainly, uh, you know, who's been out there doing it the most so far this summer. That is Karis, no question about it. And I mean, the offensive line is the best reason to believe that the Bengals are going to be better this year, certainly. You know, the story about the Bengals, and we talk about this in the chapter in the book, is that by our numbers, at least, they really were an average team during the regular season. And then they went on the great run in the playoffs. I mean, not just close wins, but playing well in the playoffs. So overall, we have them improving from where they were in DVOA last year, but the idea is that it won't look as good because they won't have as much luck in close games and the schedule is harder. And I'll point out, by the way, I mean, they're only slightly above average, which I know that's shocking for a team that's coming off a Super Bowl appearance, but they're only slightly above average of the projections. If you update the projections to say that Deshaun Watson will be back in week seven, which I don't know, who knows, right? But if he is, the Bengals go from the sixth hardest schedule in the league to the number one hardest schedule in the league because they would have to play Deshaun Watson twice. Hmm. So it's a little bit in flux right now because of that, because all those division games are later in the schedule for the Bengals. Yeah. Hmm. The one thing you can lean on is the fact that basically the lone team that Baker Mayfield was good against was Cincinnati. So, uh, you know, I'm still taking the wait and see approach on Deshaun Watson. He can't be playing any better than Baker did against the Bengals for God's sakes. I mean, obviously he's the much, much better player, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's me whistling past the graveyard a little bit, but I'll take it for now. I think that's part of it. Like what Aaron was talking about last year, about that sort of average, slightly above average, maybe Bengals team for most of the year. Yeah. I remember games against the Browns. Yeah, where you kind of march yeah. down the field. And that was one march down the field, pick six the other way. That was this Bengals Browns game. And all these other 99 yards, Denzel Ward, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And all these things that would happen that would indicate that, you know, those of us watching the Bengals October, November, like, okay, Burrow's good. Chase is amazing. They're not done yet. They're not done cooking yet. And that was the impression we got from most of last year. Yeah. Right. And, and they did improve. I was going to say they did improve in the second half of the season. Usually that kind of stuff doesn't tend to carry over, but there is a good argument that when you're talking about young players getting in sync, it does. And especially the offense improved. Like they were 23rd in DVOA through week nine, then weeks 11 to 17, they were sixth. (laughs) And we point out in the book, you know, there's a lot of different factors there. Partially DVOA doesn't love the way the Bengals played for various little detailed reasons didn't factor in the penalties and the big plays. The boomer bust style is not, you know, something that DVOA right. loves. We've covered this uh, on previous chats that we've had and things like that. And also, I don't think there's any doubt about it that Joe Burrow himself took somewhere up to half the season to really get back to being what Joe Burrow was when he was coming out of college originally after that knee injury. And, you know, he was out there. He was playing still decent at, at yeah. worst football, but he wasn't the same player until, you know, the, the, the comfort really got back to where it was and you could see the difference. It was pretty noticeable for anybody who watched him all season. So that was a big part of it too. And, you know, listen, uh, 
every stat you can take with a grain of salt. Some stats worshipped uh, Burrow and the Bengals, and those were yeah. a little bit over the top too. They didn't necessarily factor in sacks and things like that. Uh, so you know, if you, you have to always you know put the put the recipe together with all these stats and to get a much more accurate portrayal of the team. I don't think anybody who was watching the Bengals, including myself, in certainly October or November, imagined them as a Super Bowl team by any stretch. We were just hoping to get make the playoffs, and you know, magic carpet rides happen, and uh, that's what the Bengals went on. They they definitely were allowed in uh, in January of uh, this past year. I would point in one of the reasons why our uh, point out one of the reasons why our projections are always so conservative is that they, in effect, they price in the possibility of injuries by being built on all teams in the past, including teams where a number of stars got injured and the team collapsed as a possibility, right? In the range of possibility. And when you look we'll at the, depth that team part, later, by the way. <laughs> I mean, Burrow, Burrow, obviously you lose your quarterback. That'd be terrible. But you look at the rest of the offense also, there's not a lot of depth here. Like they are really dependent on those three wide receivers. Right. If one right. of those three guys chase uh, Higgins or Boyd were to get injured, there is like nothing behind them. Yeah, I mean, that's been a big talking point all really since the season ended. You know, they Chase was the first first round pick, I think, since 2013, 2015. I can't remember the date now, but he was the first one to make it through the entire season unscathed hmm. uh, in Cincinnati. So, you know, everybody took that as like, well, okay, this is a special season. The Bengals first round pick actually played the entire way. Amazing. Yeah. And you know, the fact that he was so good was just a cherry on top. But you're right. The fact that, you know, Higgins and Chase together are such a devastating combo, and then you can go with Boyd, Reliable underneath. It's hard to match that top three, but in most cases, uh, when you have that kind of front line, you know, excellence, what's behind it is is often not nearly the case. They've had uh, a couple of guys play decently in camp. They're very high on Kwame Lasseter, who's a rookie uh, undrafted free agent, but, you know, Let's be real. They, this time of year, they, every team talks up guys like that. Yeah. So uh, right now you're looking at Michael Thomas, um, who's been around the league a while and is a, a guy they like but is not really a difference maker. And Stanley Morgan, who they play a lot, but is a blocking wide receiver. He's almost like a, he's almost like a tight end in a wide receiver's uh, jersey number. So they have those two guys who are going to fill in and they'll play. And, you know, the, the idea is that Burrow will make them into something a little bit better maybe than their natural talent. But obviously, as you point out, Teams built around the passing game, and they're built around star wide receivers. And if any one or, God forbid, multiple ones go down for any length of time, uh, you know they're screwed. But right. you, know, you can say that about a lot of teams in a lot of positions. Yeah. So you just but there's no one here like Isaiah McKenzie for the Bills or Brashad Perriman for the and now yeah. Julio Jones for the Buccaneers, where the fourth and fifth guys are like have some history. And, yeah. and most teams, you can say, well, yeah, if they lose their best offensive non-quarterback player, they're in trouble. But there's these other paths to greatness. You know, you can take, take Stephon Diggs away from the Bills and say, oh, right. this team can win with defense and they can win with Josh Allen's legs and McKenzie can step up. And you can do that with a lot of the other contenders. If you take Jamar, Jamar Chase out of the equation for the Bengals, you have an unbelievably ordinary team that you can't picture doing more than just sort of hanging around. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I think they, they think that internally. I mean, I think they're aware of that, and they've gone heavily on the defense uh, mm -hmm. for just that reason to, you know, think to themselves, all right, yes, we are. And they've historically always been built around passing combinations that are elite, but we have to find a way to win when it's not working. And in the playoffs, that's what they did. I, you know, they won those playoff games not particularly with 
bombs. The defense really stepped right? it up in the playoffs. The defense yeah. was much defense better. Than special the teams. teams. Yeah, won those yeah. games for them. And yeah. I think, well. is it going to be a case where they're, that's going to be their new identity? No question. No, <laughs> definitely not. But when it's not working or if Chase, you know, has to go and leave a miss a game or two, obviously a devastating injury is another conversation, but if, you know, he's only out for a week or two, I mean, T Higgins missed a couple weeks last year. It wasn't, you know, completely detrimental to the offense. So they can find ways to win in other ways. If the defense continues the upward trajectory they've been on, we'll see if that actually happens. And obviously with the offensive line improvements, maybe the running game takes another step forward. I, I think they're virtually, they're certainly aware of the idea that just, being a team based completely around Burrow to Chase, Burrow to Higgins, and if they're not open, Burrow to Boyd uh, is not sustainable. So uh, hopefully they'll find a little bit more diversity to that attack. Yeah, the defense is interesting to talk about because it got talked up a lot in the playoffs. And they did, I mean, they were a top 10 defense in the playoffs, but that's top 10 defense out of 14 teams, not out of 13 right. teams, right? Right. right. They, um, I mean, they were better in the playoffs. There was a lot of talk about our, our, uh, our Anarumo and uh, his quality of his scheming. And he did, I mean, did something to, by dropping everybody against the uh, Patrick Mahomes that made Patrick Mahomes essentially forget how to play football for a half. <laughs> Wild, but there was also, like, I felt like in the, um, in the playoffs, there was a lot of overstatement of how good the Bengals' defense was, yes. and particularly the pass rush, which was a little bit below average in pretty much every stat. They were 25th in ESPN's pass rush win rate. They were 19th in adjusted sack rate. They were 22nd in pressure rate from SIS. So, um, And it's basically the same guys this year, except for the addition of Joseph Osai, who is a really good prospect, who was injured for his rookie year and does have yeah. a lot of promise. Um, but... You know, I mean, they, the guys, they had some guys last year who had particularly good years compared to their histories, like Eli Apple and Chidobe Awuzie, and you don't quite know if they can keep that up. Um, and is is Jesse Bates practicing, or is he holding out no, with the franchise? Okay. At the moment, he's not. He's holding <laughs> out. That front uh, office has one job. Well, two jobs. Fix the offensive line. It did that. Take care of Jesse Bates. How hard is this to do? You've got yeah, Cass Bates going into the future to the moon. Take care <laughs> of Jesse Bates. It's so simple. It's, it, it's no, it makes doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Maybe the uh, naming rights that they just sold for the stadium <laughs> will uh, provide them with a little incoming dough that they can shunt over to Jesse. I, I don't know. It's just a guaranteed dollars uh, chasm that they're not willing to cross, and they're spooked by the. Uh, fact that they're going to have to pay Burrow and Jason Higgins relatively oh, soon down that line. I'm not saying I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying right. this is right. what, I, I did, that's they, how the Bengals do it. That's how I do they it. did yeah. draft a safety in the first round, so and they, they made a safety. I, you know, it's but they still need to get this year out of Bates. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt about that. I listen. I mean, the entirety of football, you always talk about how do you team build? You draft a guy, develop him. He's one of your own. He becomes a all pro level player and you keep him for as long as he's valuable. And that's sort of, you know, it makes no sense that you would get rid of him in his prime like this. He has been a little up and down over the years. It's not like he's stepped in and has been, you know, top of the line safety every game, every, every year. Um, but he definitely played his best down the stretch. And in the playoffs, he was fantastic. 
that's what you want from guys, right? They play their best in big games. And he's finally kind of mastered the Anarumo scheme that you alluded to earlier. Aaron, I, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me that they would, you know, think that anybody really is going to step in. But, you know, Dax Hill's a good prospect. I'm sure he can play and he'll play multiple positions. There's no reason why Bates and Hill couldn't play together. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I, I just think uh, they've sort of uh, looked around the landscape and said, all right, well, we're not going to be able to uh, give – Jesse, what his uh, guaranteed dollars or agents are demanding, and uh, they're they're set to move on after this year. But he has to play this year. All indications are that he will. Uh, yeah. He's not going to leave like on the table and just sit out. That that doesn't seem the kind of guy he is. It doesn't make prudent financial sense. Players virtually never do that. So uh, he should play, and and he'll be, you know, the same Jesse Bates that he always has been for, for lack of any evidence otherwise. Yeah, I will. Uh, by the way, just point out that looking at the safeties for. The Bengals, I did not realize that the Bengals have two of the three Michael Thomases. <laughs> so they're loading up on Michael Thomases, except for and, the and, and, you know, You never know what happens. An injury to Chase, the Saints fall out of the race, and uh, suddenly maybe uh, you know, just so got all Thomas the Michael Thomases. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Get them all, maybe. The one that matters. The one that matters, um, by the way, is healthy and practicing right now, which is a thing I assumed was not going to happen. Yeah, it's definitely a, an upset there. Yeah, they, yeah. They, probably, they have a history of this where they at one point the Bengals had like five different Johnsons on the team, and uh, everybody was like, "Wait, which Johnson is that now?" The Jets. Look at the Jets right now. The Jets have, have two Carter. Michael right. Carters, and then they have like Brees Hall and Bryce Hall, Bryce two Q yeah. Williamses who are brothers, but they're still two Q Williamses. That's on his family. That's all, that's yeah. on his mom and dad. But yeah. Yeah, you but had the, some props. I got the props here, okay? And I always do these on the ones that are the big, big payout props. So are you interested in the Cincinnati Bengals? This is an alternate line, folks. Bengals over 11 wins at plus 225. Any takers? Hmm. Pretty good, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, if we're saying they're improved, they, they were 10 and 7 last year and they weren't. Great. You got you to gotta make this decision. That line will change when Deshaun Watson is suspended for a year. Yeah, it will move right. that money line or that oh, line. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, if Deshaun Watson is only suspended for six games, I don't want that. Well, you know who says he should be suspended for a year? Roger Goodell. You know whose decision this is? Roger Goodell. Some I feel New crazy. Jersey attorney general or something, right? Some <laughs> dude that, that Roger Goodell picked. <laughs> to make the decision for Roger Goodell. Yeah, I, I'm I'm on the Trevor Bauer train. If Trevor Bauer goes for two years, Deshaun should go for two years or three. Yeah. Yeah, just just keep suspending him until uh, until he's no right. longer a threat to the Bengals. Yeah, if there's one person that I'm guessing that Roger Goodell never pays any attention to, it's Rob Manfred. <laughs> <laughs> the NFL is king, and baseball is not doing particularly good right now. So I don't know if you feel like he can learn any lessons from Manfred. There's a pebble under Roger Goodell's loafer no question it's a, it's it's i mean plus 225 is a nice payout for a team that yeah. was 10 and 7 last year yeah um and we're saying they're improved the offensive line's better you know the guys are in the system now and they're improved the but they're not going to have the same luck and they're going to have a harder schedule but yeah, most likely but it's a nice payout it's, it's i might be tempted all right, let's if Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow, if we if he is what he think what everyone thinks he is and what he has displayed, I mean, then he should be in the double digit win mix 
every year regardless pretty much right so i mean uh, you know they might not have the same luck as they did last year injury wise but they had some bad luck in other ways too so they could have squeezed unless your defense is as bad as the saints defense was for a couple of years and drew Brees couldn't get them out yeah, of the record but for the most part if you're yeah. a quarterback this good you have a winning record every year well, I'm That's guessing there will be no takers at another alternate money line here. Under nine wins for the Bengals at plus 130. Under nine. I mean, our simulation says to go with that because our simulation is super, super conservative. Yeah. I think that's our um, conservatism, uh, though. Not and then you're just rooting for injuries. You know, I mean, that's basically what that was <laughs> done. If you take that bet. It's not yeah. impossible, obviously. You know, you know. It's uh, I actually would have expected that to be a little higher, and I probably yeah, would take it if it was like 170 or 180. Yeah. Again, maybe when the Watson suspension is official, we will get more knowledge about this. Here's something. Jamar Chase to have at least one 200-plus receiving yard game, plus 450. <laughs> plus 450. I'll give you the other one like this. Okay. Joe Barrow to have at least one 500-yard passing game. He had one last year. At least one 500-yard passing game plus 900. Wow. Come on. That's there are like game. two of those a year, right? Like how there's many? Like one or two a year. That's why I looked it up, and like there's one or two across the league per year. So that's got to be worth <laughs> about 200 check beardos here, guys. Come on. 500. <laughs> The 500-yard passing game did come against uh, the Ravens when they were down to, you know, Larry Moe and Curry yeah. in the secondary. There, there's a bit of, yeah, I'd stay away from the 500. But Jamar getting 200, I would, I would think that that's in the realm of possibility. Just, you know, a, a standard game, and he breaks off one slant, you know, takes it to the house from 80. You're, you're getting close to it right there. I, I, I'd go in for the Jamar one. I'm going to see if I can parlay those, Brian. Brian says, can you, par- can you parlay them? Because if Burrow sure has that. 500, you got to figure Chase is going to have 200. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think I can get the parlays turned on right now. I will look into that. But that would be – because that's a one-two punch that you could really hit. And by the way, just to point, those 500-yard games throughout history, not the Ravens game, most of them are losses, as you might expect. Those are big catch-up games. Like Jared Goff had one a couple of years ago. Roethlisberger late in his career when he was noodle arm, Roethlisberger had one. It's usually you're down, you know, 46 to 28 final score where you're throwing a play catch up. But I like them both because it's like every week, choose violence, choose chaos, go in there and root for Bengals madness. Don't care about the final score, just catches all year long. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm There's going to be some games where it's just, you know, to you know, pick a game that they play this year, they're going to have a, a couple of shootouts potentially especially with Mahomes uh the rematch there there's going to be there's going to be some afternoons where it says ah the defense can't handle either one of these guys and they're going to both put up a ton of yards and a ton of points and yeah you might get lucky with those with those bets for sure it certainly would be a fun thing to root for yeah exactly that's and that's what like props like this are good for Uh, the Bengals are on tv I have this year-long prop just sit back and root for root for touchdowns root for yards root for catches it's fun is there a Hayden Hurst prop in there there probably is. Uh, you guys talk while I hunt it down. A 30. Will he get over 32 no, yards? Probably not a Will Hayden Hurst have a 200-yard game. I'm guessing that's Definitely not a problem. Will he have 200 yards for the season? But he will, I think. He will have that. I mean, Drew Sample doesn't really catch passes, so it's not like they're going to no. like be throwing to him. He's, hurt. He's already hurt. There is no, 
I'm I'm afraid there's no Hayden Hurst. Damn. Uh, at this time, there's a couple of things involving T. Higgins, but mostly it's Mixon, Jason Barrow, as you might yeah. expect. No, of course. <laughs> I guess the the big here's a question about the Bengals, and I, I know Rob. I, I'm pretty sure I know what your answer is. If Watson <laughs> is playing, who's better right now, the Bengals or the Browns? Well, I, I would still say that the Browns have a better overall roster than the Bengals. So I wouldn't necessarily lean and say the Bengals are okay. better just because of, I, mean, yeah, I'm a, I might be a fan, but I'm a realistic fan. If anything, I go, you know, too conservative. I don't, I don't ever really believe in the team until they show it to me. I still like other people knocking them, you know, I'm, I'm a fan that way, a classic fan. But uh, yeah, I, I would say if Watson plays, the Browns are top to bottom better than them. Doesn't mean they'll sweep them or anything. Um, no, no. I mean, the best, like most likely result would be one and one, but I'm just saying, like in general, if Watson were to play the whole season, yeah, if, like, if who he's playing the whole season, I would be favorite, favorite, who would be season. favorite to have the better record. The Browns, yeah, the, I would, the Browns would be, and and that would be proper. They would they they should be favored to have more wins than the Bengals in that's in that circumstance. What do you think, Mike? I'm going to lean Bengals because the receiving core, the receiving core is still significantly. Better even with Amari in there. There's not much behind him. And and with the rebuilt Bengals line, I'm still going to lean Bengals, but it'll be extremely close. It's interesting because, I mean, the Browns are better on the offensive line. They have the better running game. They have the better defense. They have certainly more stars on defense. But, uh, and I don't know right now, since we haven't seen Watson play for a year, I don't know who I would take between It's really, uh, it's pure hypothetical at this point. That's you know, it. Not as, not the arrow that I saw in the playoffs versus a guy who's disappeared for two years. That's that's hard to. Yeah. Right, and and but the wide receiver is definitely a big difference. There's a huge difference between having T. Higgins as your number two and having Donovan Peoples Jones as your number two. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk about the team that we're projecting to have more wins than the Bengals and the Browns. And that is the resurgent Baltimore Ravens, ladies and gentlemen. This is our favorite to win the division because so many injuries last year, not to mention losses in close games, all those games where they went for two at the end and didn't get the two and lost by a point. Uh, Don't forget, yes, uh, if you are watching us live, please bring on your comments and questions. Please subscribe to our channel, like the video. Uh, let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens. They are our favorite in the division. Uh, They're one of the top five or six teams in the projections. Uh, of course, they do have the bonus of special teams that like they're one of the few teams that's consistently good on special teams. So you can count on that every year. And they have by far the easiest schedule of the AFC North teams. It does get a little bit harder if Watson comes back at midseason, but they get Cleveland well, actually, uh, they they would play Watson twice because they yeah, get Cleveland right. in week seven and week Ooh. 15. So it really matters to them whether Watson's suspension is extended, but not for the entire season. Because if Watson's out for more than six games, the next game he misses is against Baltimore. Yeah. Pretty quiet out of camp. The good news, if you're looking at injuries, of course, uh, Rookie center Tyler Lindebaum had an injury that they're still evaluating and they're going back and forth. That looks kind of significant. But it sounds like a lot of the Ravens are back 
a lot of the guys in the secondary are back. Most of the running backs that matter are back. J.K. Robbins just came back. So if you're worried on the injury front, that seems to be positive news. And, of course, if you look at their draft. Yeah, class, I would say. Um, yeah. Well, you look at the draft class, there. it's like 80-guy draft class, and they're all in, and they're all, yeah. you know, making right. positive news except Linda Bombay and Hart. So there's a lot of encouraging news on that end. Yeah. They did lose Jakeem Grant, who they brought in, I guess, to uh, – oh, no, that was Cleveland. I'm sorry. Well, we're talking Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, they The one guy who we're thinking, um, though, is most important, really, is Ronnie Stanley. And you haven't heard much on his front all season, all offseason. I mean, presumably they're thinking cautiously he should be ready week one. But they thought that last year, too. And, you know, he lasted about a quarter and a half or whatever it was. Uh, that's that, Of all the guys, you can sort of – Maybe with a couple of exceptions, Marcus Peters, Dobbins, one or two others, you could you could round up every other single guy who got hurt on the Ravens, put them all in a bag, and they're still not worth having Ronnie Stanley healthy and being the all pro Ronnie Stanley that we've come to know and loathe as a Bengal <laughs> fan for uh, for seventeen weeks. So he's really the key guy. Yes, they have a lot of you know smaller level dudes who are who are back in practicing, and that's obviously good. And and their depth is uh, certainly the key to this know. team. And I think. He was tested last year, and you know that Peters and Humphrey are pretty important. I yeah, mean, that, I would call the entire oh, yeah, secondary. That up last year got really bad. Like yeah, Peters, yeah. having Peters and Humphrey back healthy is really important. The, the other thing that I keep hearing from Ravens camp is we believe in our wide receivers. Really, 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 we swear we believe in these guys. Really, <laughs> really believe in them. We totally believe in them. Not just Rashad Bateman. We totally believe in guys who are not Rashad Bateman. Like these are the receivers we are putting out there on purpose. Yes. Like, yeah, like exactly. We believe this in Devin plan. We believe in James Proche. We believe in yes. Tyler Wallace. I mean, here's here's the thing, right? Like, Duvernay is basically just been a special teams guy. Proche hasn't done much in his first couple of years. Tylen Wallace did nothing last year, and then behind them, it's all street free agents. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. The one guy who's made any noise who they brag about with actually, a, you know, something behind it has been Isaiah Likely, yet another yeah. tight end, uh, Mark Andrews, you know, clone. So it's sort of like, yeah, we swear these are our wideouts and they're going to be good. We'll show you. But you right. know, the, when the proof needs to be displayed in the pudding, so to speak, uh, the one guy who stands out uh, other than Andrews, obviously, and, and Bateman to a point is uh, just another rookie tight end, just what they always do. So, uh, you know, they can say what they want and they can say Lamar Jackson's put on 20 pounds of muscle and he's – throwing the ball harder and looks phenomenal. Everything's, you know, hunky-dory with him too. Listen, we all know what, what people say in, in August. Um, listen, listen, you know. listen to this Bengals fan. Like, oh, the Ravens, <laughs> they were 14 and two a couple of years ago. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of Lamar Jackson. I, I, don't get me wrong. I'm just, uh, I'm just saying what they're saying and versus the evidence on the practice field that we've seen so far. Uh, doesn't necessarily match up, but obviously, you, yeah. Even when they even when they were beat up, I was terrified of the Ravens. So uh, they're always going to be. A, I mean, a here's the three things that. the Ravens always have going for them. Number one, Lamar Jackson is special. Yes. He's a special, interesting player. The arguments that we had a couple weeks ago on Twitter about whether he's one of the top ten quarterbacks in the league and are we valuing his rushing, special, you know, properly. I mean, there's no question he he is a different type of quarterback than the rest of the top quarterbacks in the league, but he is one of the top quarterbacks in the league. I will point out the football outsider stats tend to undervalue Jackson 
because of the fact that when we do rushing, we compare quarterbacks to other quarterbacks. And quarterback rushing is just much more efficient than running back rushing. So we're like comparing Jackson to other quarterbacks and going, oh, Jackson's only kind of average as a runner when you compare to other quarterbacks, except that he's running 130 times, except that he's he's running so much, and those are all high-value plays, and Ryan Tannehill is running 40 times. So Tannehill might be more efficient, but Jackson is running those high-efficiency plays over and over again. The second thing I'll just point out they have is, look, John Harbaugh is one of the top coaches in the league. When it comes to analytics, when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to a player incentivizing and uh, morale boosting, and uh, he's, 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 the top co- he's one of the top coaches in every imaginable area of coaching. And then the third, which is less of an issue, but like I said, super consistent, is they will always be near the top of the league on special teams every year. And, and real props says James Prost is showing great pro- – that's what I've heard. But as Aaron said, it sounds like we're really trying hard to be super excited about James Prost. I'd like to see him do more than return punts and stuff. I feel like this team could use Emmanuel Sanders. I don't know what Emmanuel Sanders has left. If, if, if there was a veteran sitting out there that I was like, yeah, this is the guy. Oh, God, thank you, Todd. Well, there James is one. Prost. It's OJ. It's OJ. It's o, 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 Odell Beckham. But, uh, oh, yeah. Well, he won't be back happen. till midseason. And, and, no. uh, and, and, you know, can Lamar Jackson throw to him outside, right? I, mean, I would say one other thing that the Ravens almost always have going for them is the succession game, is the fact that 2020 and 2021's draft picks tend to be good in 2022. They usually are pulling those guys through. I, I'm cautiously optimistic about a guy like Proch and DeVernay. They're entering their third seasons. When you look at guys like, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, Adafi Owe on the yes. edge. You know, and like he's having a phenomenal game. They always bring these edge rushers through in the course of a two or three year program. So, like, I anticipate that they're going to get a bump on some, at some of these positions from guys that we've kind of forgotten about because they're they're second or third year veterans. Yeah, and they'll need it because you know that that succession plan that that factory, as you uh, put it, you know, it, it kind of threw a cog last year because that's that's when they really needed those guys to step up is when the injuries hit. That's usually been the case. It's not like they haven't had teams that were hit by injuries before, not right. to that extent, obviously. Right. But you know, they've always had you know guys go out, and the and the backups were, you know, not replacement level. They were decent players, and, or right. they held the fort well enough. And then they stepped up when whoever name pick your linebacker, edge rusher, whatever safety uh, left in free agency. They always had the guy waiting in the wings, and that's why they used all those picks. You, you mentioned the, this huge draft haul they had, and they right. had six fourth rounders. I mean, ordinarily a team with six fourth round picks trades a couple and boosts the next right. year's draft, but they used them all. And uh, I think 11 total. Uh, and I think a big reason behind that was to restock that, uh, that cabinet where they can st- get going with the reserves and, and have their second team. Two corners. Level that usually is in Baltimore. Two corners and two tight ends among those six fourth round picks. So they they knew we like to go two tight end. We need need more tight ends. We had no corner depth last year. We need more corners. Yeah, and three right tackles named Daniel Falale. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, I believe it or not, it's actually only one human being. Oh my god! It looks like three guys. It looks like sure. three guys. It's three guys share a pool tart with a number on the back. You can definitely be seen from outer space, no doubt. About it. <laughs> So what are our what are our interesting Ravens props that you have, Mike? Okay, now remember these are all from DraftKings. These are all alternate win totals or the like, so you can play these. I'm not making stuff up. 
Um, <laughs> Ravens over 10.5 wins at plus 135. I don't love the plus 135, but over 10.5 wins, you can get the Ravens at plus 135. If you sort of unconservativize our simulation to bring it back to the sort of range of possibilities that Vegas has, then the Ravens are more at like a 10.1 average wins. So 10.5 at plus 135 sounds like exactly equal value. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that that's a solid bet, as you say. I mean, the payoff, I would have thought, would be a little better, to be honest. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I think the Ravens, you know, sort of success over the past couple of decades under Harbaugh plays into that, and everybody sort of figures they'll be there. It's not really that wild a bet to see them bouncing back and getting to 11 wins. That's That seems pretty likely, unless, you know, a leap happens, as it did last year. Injuries hit again, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, at that low-level payout, I'd rather probably just play the regular number. I don't have the regular number. It's probably around 9.5. I'd probably just hit it. If yeah. you are a skeptic, and I don't know who's a skeptic, although Rob was leaning in that direction, uh, <laughs> Bengals, I mean, Raven, Ravens under, under 8.5 at plus 200. 200? Under 8.5. So, you know, a couple of injuries. Yeah, but even, of, I mean, unless Lamar doesn't play – a large percentage of the year, even last year with the injury tsunami, they were still <laughs> right sure. there with the win. So, I mean, it's uh, hard for me to envision that unless, like, as I say, either a total breakdown, which seems unlikely, or Lamar actually being out all or virtually all of this season, in which case all bets are off anyway. Um, yeah, I, I would stay away from that one myself. Yeah, the conservatism of our simulation groups things around 8.5 not lower than 8.5. <laughs> right. um, is the difference in schedules, Joey Sucks asks, is the difference in schedules between the Ravens and the Bengals mostly the difference between the first and fourth place schedule? In fact, it, that's almost all what it is. Yes. Yeah, uh, it exactly. just so happens that the fourth place teams that the Ravens play differently from the Bengals are particularly weak. Uh, one of them is the New York Giants. Compared to playing the Dallas Cowboys, which our numbers say is a really big difference, mm -hmm. um, one of them is uh, Denver versus Kansas Denver. City, which is not a not a big difference. Okay, and then the other one is uh, Jacksonville, yes, yeah, as Jags. opposed to uh, Tennessee, right? Which so you a, know, a lot of it is the Giants versus Philly, and yeah. a lot of it is Dallas. Dallas. Uh, oh, sorry, the Giants versus Dallas is a lot of it. And then some of it is the Ravens playing the Bengals, where the Bengals play the Ravens, and the Bengals are projected to be better. Um, but, yeah, uh, but there is also a difference between Jacksonville and Tennessee. Right. And there is a difference between Denver and Kansas City. Right. right. Those I'm differences are big between Philadelphia and the Giants. <laughs> hoping for the extreme rebound uh, in Jacksonville of Trevor Lawrence, at least for that particular right. week. For one week. <laughs> One week and one only. week and one week only. Yeah. Every old prophecy mentions David Ajabo, David Ajabo might come back midseason, which he might. I'm an Ajabo fan. I like him. That's exactly the kind of player that you usually look at the Ravens and say, we are building for 2023. We get the bonus out of him, but we're going to develop him for the future. And that's a, a thing the Ravens could do because they had another first round pick and four right. fourth rounders and all those other things. Yeah. I mean, getting, getting a first round pick for, for Hollywood Brown, still rankles. It's not quite up there with the uh, 
the trade that was nixed where the Bengals would have gotten Cleveland's second rounder for AJ McCarron, but it's uh, it's up there. In the, <laughs> that would have been one of the all time. That would have been one of the all time greats. It really somebody would. in the league office kiboshed that. There's a huge conspiracy theory in Cincinnati that still exists about how somebody uh, who is a Browns fan in the league office put the uh, slowdown on the fax machine or whatever on it's, that particular trade. It's like in a fantasy league where the commissioner knows somebody's taking advantage of the brother-in-law who doesn't know anything about football and kind of makes the back channel phone call like, look, don't don't take this trade. Don't take this trade. Yeah. Pretend your internet is out for the next half hour. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, just to wrap up, because we did Cleveland and Pittsburgh on a different sh- – uh, no, Cleveland and Pittsburgh we still have to do. So we'll get to that. I haven't done it yet. It's not tomorrow, uh, is it? Uh, it's not tomorrow. Okay. I postponed Cleveland and Pittsburgh till we do more. So we would get it as late as possible. So Deshaun Watson will hopefully know more. But when Watson is playing, this is a really good division, right? You have the Pittsburgh who should at least be good on defense. You have the Browns who have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. You have the Bengals who just came off a Super Bowl appearance and still have a good amount of talent, despite the fact that I say that they're a little overrated. And you have the Ravens, who are a really good team. This is a strong division. It's always been a problem. That's why I've advocated that the uh, Bengals and Colts should have been switched years and years ago. You know, get this, uh, get out of play in the I Ravens. I guess Cincinnati the is to the south of Indianapolis, isn't it? Yes, very much is. I mean, although you know what's really to the south of Indianapolis, Miami. No, <laughs> Listen, are we, are we going to adjudicate the You wanted to just move AFC teams, and you all you were concerned about was geography and not historical rivalries. You would put Baltimore in the east, Miami yeah. in the south, and Indianapolis in the center, yeah. in the north. And you know, when, when Peyton Manning was there, that wasn't necessarily something I was advocating, but I always liked the <laughs> idea of the swap. Uh, and getting to play the Jags a couple times a year, for example, instead of the Steelers, for <laughs> for God's sakes. But uh, no question, it, it's a tough division. And listen, that tempers everything around. And people have been asking me, you know, why is the playoff odds this low? Why are they not expected to, the Bengals I'm talking about, why are they not expected to, uh, you know, cruise back into the playoffs and make another potential Super Bowl run? And it all starts really with those six hard games. I mean, that that's those are – you know, difficult games, win or lose, they take it a lot out of the, the team. And, you know, we, we've seen this in Cincinnati for forever. You know, the week after they play the Steelers is always a difficult game because of the way they you know, exhausted themselves or been beat up by Pittsburgh. Same hold for Baltimore to a degree. And now Cleveland uh, has had a whammy on them for the last few years too. So it's uh, not the you know breather that they had twice a year either. So, when you play in a division like this, you know, we can go back to the age-old Tom Brady discussion. Why is he the GOAT? Because he got to waltz into the playoffs every year because mm-hmm. the division stank. That's never going to be the case, or at least not for the immediate future, uh, for Burrow, Lamar, maybe Deshaun, and uh, whoever emerges in the wake of Ben Roethlisberger's uh, push out onto the ice flow that he is uh, off on. God only knows where he is at the moment. I don't want to speculate. But, yeah, the division's rough. And it's only getting rougher, really. I will accept your underhanded diss of Darrell Rivas. I might slip it in there, but you were you were ready and waiting for it. You're like a cat. Good job. But certainly, I mean, even if you can argue, if you want to argue 
that the AFC East was not quite as easy as people think it was for some years. It was uh, never four deep. It was the one contender per division. Yeah, there was usually, the one, under, usually one under other contender yeah. in the other two teams. Yes. Yeah, the Jets were good for That's a while. Pretty much was, yeah, you, you, you had like one other quarterback. There were a couple years that my average was good. Than yeah. Average, yeah, that, that was uh, that was not uh, one of the one of the uh, all time divisions for sure. <laughs> I I disagree. Joey sucks. Says the division is bad and the top of the AFC as a whole is pretty stacked. I don't think the division is bad. I think the division, yeah. this is the second best division in the AFC. Right, right. The right? AFC like, South is bad. Right now. Yeah. If you had to pick Joey. two teams between, if you had to pick two teams between the Bengals, the Browns, the Dolphins, and the Patriots, right? Like even with Watson playing, you would pick the Bengals and the Browns. You would not pick the two AFC East teams. Even but, with Brissett oh, playing, I might pick the playing, Browns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the top of the, I mean, this is not the AFC West right now, but it's this yeah. is a good. I, did, I didn't. I was going to say, Joey, my man. I know you didn't mean it as uh, as literal there. You had to be doing it in the Michael Jackson sense. That is yeah. Right. Yeah. Real real prophecy says Mitch uh, Trubisky is at the head of the quarterback competition in Pitt. I, I don't I don't think it matters who's ahead, but we'll get to Pittsburgh in a couple of weeks because we'll Rivers McCown will be on and we'll do Pittsburgh and Cleveland on a show in a couple of weeks. Uh, thank you everybody for watching today. Thank you to the folks watching live and commenting. Thank you to everyone who listens after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show, especially because if you subscribe to the show, you'll know when we switch days on you like this. <laughs> uh, we will be back tomorrow with Carl Yedor. I believe Carl is making his podcast slash live stream debut. Wow. And we will be discussing the NFC West with the Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers. That is tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern, Arizona and San Francisco. Thank you, Rob. Good luck recovering from that appendectomy, both you and Joe Burrow. Is it right side or left side? I can never remember. (laughs) That doesn't matter. No, we can't tell you. (laughs) <laughs> so this is our show. We'll see you guys all tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern. So long, everybody. Bye.